You're listening to audio from Restoration Church. If you enjoyed the message and would like to get connected to our church, follow us on social media at Restoration Cambridge or at our website, restoration-church.ca. Send us a message and we would love to hear from you. Thanks. Okay, hello everyone. My name is Landon. Uh, I'm a member here at Restoration. A few weeks ago, Aaron and Colin asked Ryan and myself to just read Romans 8, reflect on it, listen to what the Spirit would have in store for us, and then share that with you all this morning. And so that's what I'm here to do. But before we get started, let me just pray for us quickly. Father God, thank you for uh, this morning and the uh, privilege it is to gather together as a church family. Uh, I pray that you would uh, challenge and encourage us this morning. Um, Would everything that is said here today, Lord, be from you? If there's anything that's not, would that just fall away? Um, But if there is something, if there is that message that you have for us, would that really stick with people and encourage them and be with them as they go into their week? Amen. Okay. So, we are in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, before Ryan joins us. Okay. So you can flip and I'll start reading. Starting at verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Okay, that was kind of a lot. There's a lot in there. Um, But I think we're probably on the same page that maybe at least what we gleaned from that is that The life in the spirit was mentioned a lot, right? Or some variation of that. And it seems important. It seems good. The opposite. Living in the flesh is bad and that leads to death, right? I don't think, like, when we think about what the significance is of life in the spirit, I don't think we really need to get caught up in a lot of Christianese or anything like that. I think it's rather uh, simple but still profoundly comforting for us. And that is that life in the spirit is newfound freedom, right? Life in the spirit is newfound freedom. So let's dig into that and kind of dissect that a little bit. In the first verse, we get a picture of what that means already. It says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? So already life in the spirit means that we are free from condemnation. Or to put that maybe a little bit more simply or tangibly, we are free from God's wrath on the day of judgment. As Christians, you know, integral to our faith is that idea that when Christ died, he took on our sins, but he also bestowed on us his own righteousness, right? Making us right in the sight of God and putting us at peace with God. And like that is such a liberating thing for me, I think, right? Like we might say that a lot, but we are at peace with God because of that. And if any of you are like me in this kind of particular way, I often find myself so frustrated with my own sin, you know, thinking, 
why do I keep doing this? Like, how often am I going to do this before it gets through my head that this does not please God? And I think I'll even often take that one step further and be like, like, I can, I can do something to get back, like, in right standing with God, right? Like, I can dig myself out of this hole. Um, but that's kind of the opposite of the gospel, right? I think while parts of that may be right, us looking to repent of our sins continually and also figure out how we can reorient our lives around Christ, uh, it's not our job to do something that Christ has already done for us, right? To accomplish our own salvation. A line about this that I really like is, we live in the joy of being counted righteous because Christ is righteous. Right? Philippians 3, verse 8 to 9 says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So already we're getting that picture, right? That life in the Spirit means that we are free from condemnation because of what Christ has already done. And that quickly jumps us into our next point, or thing we can grasp, and that is life in the Spirit is freedom from ourselves, or maybe a little bit more precisely, it's freedom from a life of persistent sinful living. Starting in verse 6, rereading that portion, it says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ouch. Right? In our wickedness, we cannot please God, and that is due to the motives of our flesh being in direct opposition to God, right? Our flesh wants to serve ourselves, and then when we are adopted into God's family, our allegiance shifts, right? And we want to serve God, and those things just don't mesh well. And I think you guys see the issue that's at hand here, right? And I'm sure you experience that on the daily. And that is that new nature, our new character found in Christ is at war with that familiar sinful nature of ourselves. And um, Paul talks about the frustration of that, right? How uh, it just grieves his heart that he wants to please God, but he just can't. And he talks about that in chapter 7. I'll read a bit of that, um, starting at verse 18. It says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Right? Paul's describing that frustration where he knows what God has for him. He knows what he needs to do to please God, but... He just finds himself doing the opposite all the time, almost as if he has no control. He says, my wicked flesh later, and just he's so frustrated. And um, this kind of reminded me of a bit of a story from my own life, which is, growing up, my sister and I were mortal enemies. <laughs> Literally anything we could do to bug the heck out of each other, we did. And we were actually really good at it, too. Um, and there was this one day where my dad, my sister, and I were on this hike in our hometown in the south to where uh, they were building this new church building. And it was a hike because it was actually really beautiful. It was on this lake, and there was forest all around it. And they were cutting down a bit of trees to plop this building there. And from that work, there was a bunch of just, like, loose tree trunk kind of stacked around. And so my sister and I were, like, jumping from one to the other, as kids do. Uh, and so then as my sister was kind of balancing on one, my dad just gave it a little bit of like a love tap, nothing crazy. Um, but she was so ticked, right? Uh, cause she almost got hurt. And so then, uh, 
my dad says to me, like, Lana, that was, that was wrong of me. Don't do that. Don't follow my example. That was bad. And I, I heard him. I did hear him. But it was, it was like I blinked, and then I see myself just hammering the thing with all the strength in that little seven-year-old body. And, of course, my sister just face to earth, right? And she was even more ticked than she was at my dad for the little love tap, as you might imagine. Um, and I think that while maybe like a simple jovial example, that is kind of what Paul's talking about here, right? Like I knew my dad didn't want me to do that. He told me, and I knew that, and I didn't want to hurt my sister either, but I just like, I did it. Like, I, I don't know why. I just felt like I just had to do it. And, um, and Paul talks about how he knows that our sin grieves the heart of God, right? We know that. And I think the good thing here is that uh, in verse in chapter 7 and then also in chapter 8 where we are right now, he talks about how he delights in the fact that Christ delivered him from that, right? He now has the ability to do good in the sight of God. But I think I, think I need to be clear here that life in the Spirit does not, by any means, mean that we won't be distracted by sin. We know that not to be the case, right? 1 John 1 reminds us that walking in the light requires continual cleansing of sin. Rather, I think that walking in the Spirit makes sin obvious to us, and it limbers us up to experience a sampling of heavenly splendor here on earth. What? I'll say that again, because I think it is important. Uh, I believe that walking in the Spirit meaning living a life that is surrendered to God in a way that is in line with Scripture, seeking God in right action, in right motive, through his word, through prayer, through meditation, I believe that truly does limber us up to experience a sampling of splendor, the splendor of heaven here on earth. And this could be experienced in newfound joy, peace, patience, right? Think of those fruits of the Spirit we know from Galatians. Um, And we get a hint of this even here in Romans 8 and verse 6, which says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And I think that's like a newfound life and peace, unlike anything we can or have experienced, right? Uh, We are free from the fear of condemnation because we can come to our forgiving Father. Romans 8.16 tells us that. We are free from shame and guilt because we have been told to forget what lies behind and strain for what lies ahead in Christ. Philippians 3.13 tells us that. We are free from the loneliness because we have been adopted into God's own family, Romans 8.17. And we don't need to fear doing something so bad that God turns away and says, like, no, that's it. I can't love you again, right? Because nothing can separate separate us from the love of God, Romans 8.39. Might have spoiled that a bit for you, Ryan, sorry. Um, but what I mean here is I think part of that freedom in the spirit is that the tide turns, right? And that internal war, that turmoil in us. Um, and so coming in to kind of land the plane here, uh, life in the spirit is uh, a continual process, right? It takes effort on our part. We have to build that muscle by continuing to choose God every day. We need to choose to pursue life in the spirit through, as we talked about, prayer, scripture, meditation. We need to choose to live, uh, to choose life in the spirit in what we give our time and attention to. And we need to choose it in boldness, sacrifice, or whatever particular way you might be thinking pertains to your own life right now. So I guess my challenge is maybe a rather simple, but still a kind of frightening one. And that is, are you up for that? I feel like I very, very often find myself kind of coasting through life with just uh, what Jesus has already done, you know? Like, he accomplished my salvation, and once a Christian, always a Christian, so I can just kind of sail on through. And I don't mean to discount what Christ did, right? That's the greatest gift we could ever receive, but I feel like 
we miss out on the point, right? If we just kind of stop there. And we miss out on the freedom that comes with living and pursuing life in the Spirit. It's going to be hard, right? We talked about how it's against our selfish, selfish nature, and it's countercultural, right? People won't always understand it, but I believe that if you do truly choose to pursue life in the Spirit, you will experience uh, peace and freedom and uh, just see God do supernatural things in your life. So I'll just pray as I close. Father God, thank you for um, the ability to work through your word together, Lord, as a church family. Again, I pray that if there is uh, some challenges for each of us here this morning, Lord, that we would really ruminate on that and take that with us into our week and just not forget it as we go. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Everybody, uh, my name is Ryan. Uh, Landon spoke on the first part of uh, Romans 8. I've been asked to speak on uh, the last few verses. So I'll be reading in Romans 8, 31 to 39. So can uh, follow along if you like. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, let's just pray. Uh, God, thank you so much that we can be here today. Uh, I just pray that please speak uh, through me. Please say something to the people uh, here. It is something that we can uh, take away from uh, this, God. Thank you for these words. Thank you for these promises. All right. So yeah, as I started looking at these verses, it, it quickly became clear just how like incredible and encouraging uh, this texts are. So I just want to start by, let's look at a few of the truths we, I guess, see in these verses. Verse 32 says that God gave his son so that we could be right with him. You know, the verse says that he gave his son, if he gave his son, uh, his son's life, how will he not freely give us all things? If God loves us so much that he's willing to give us his son, what could possibly stop that kind of intense love in general for us? Verse 31 and 34, God is on our side and he intercedes for us. Verse 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then in verse 34, Jesus is on the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. And I think what got me there is that it's, it's so active. It's not like a past tense uh, thing. It's God is actively for us. God is actively interceding. A few verses later, uh, or earlier, sorry, in verse 26 of the same chapter, it says, The Spirit helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit's literally translating our prayers. We don't even know how to pray properly to God, but he's translating that for us. God is actively on our side. 
And then the main part, or another main uh, point in this passage is that nothing can separate us from God's love. That's said over and over, verse 38 and 39, and it goes through a whole list of things that can't separate us. Nothing can separate us. And this is incredible. God in heaven loves us no matter what. Do you believe that this morning? God gave us his son. God's actively helping us. And nothing can separate us from God's love. I hope that when you hear those these words, you're encouraged by it, that God's on our side, that nothing can separate us. But maybe you have some mixed responses to it. Maybe there's some internal forces or external things that give you a mixed response to these truths. Questions like, what about sin? Doesn't sin separate me from God? If God is so loving, then why are all these bad things happening to good people? So let's let's start with a few internal factors. Um that could cause us to question this truth, make us question, can nothing really separate us from God's love? That's my experience. Uh, and also, it's, I think it's shown in the Bible also, Psalm 66, 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And there's other Old Testament verses also. In the New Testament, First uh, Thessalonians five twenty talks about don't quench the spirit. Our sin and our shame interfere with our closeness to God. When we sin and don't follow God's leading in our lives, we become distant from God. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It just means that we're not as close. If my kids intentionally disobey me, um, it doesn't mean that doesn't mean I don't love them anymore. There's just a separation. I want that closeness restored. I want I want them, you know, to make that right. In Luke 15, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a great story. Kind of God, a description of God's relationship towards his children. Uh, a son, one of the sons, says to his dad, uh, "I want my inheritance early. Pretty much, I really can't wait for you to die. Uh, let's let's just have the money." Uh, so his father obliges. He gives it to him, and he goes off and he lives uh, a sinful lifestyle. He just wastes all his money, and uh, eventually that catches up with him. He. He's starving, he's destitute, he's eating with pigs, uh, and he realizes, it says he comes to his senses, and he realizes, um, you know what, the servants at my father's house have it way better off than I do. And I think, I'm going to go back and say to my father, I'm not worthy to be called your son, I just want to be a servant. He thinks his father can't love him for what he's done. He's wasted all his dad's money, he's run and forsaken his dad, but he's like, no. (laughs) So what happens in the story here? is not at all what the son thought. He comes home and he says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The father is so excited. They throws this massive party and says, this son of mine was gone. He was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's found. God wants restoration. He wants that closeness with his children. He's actively waiting for us to return. And I think sometimes our sin and our shame can prevent us from returning to God. And we think God couldn't want us. God doesn't love us. But God always wants this closeness restored. You might have voices in your head this morning saying, my sin's too great. God couldn't love me for the things I've done. These are lies of Satan. God loves you and wants closeness with you. Jesus paid the price already for your sin. Uh, and nothing it says here, nothing is going to separate you from his love. God welcomes us with open arms. I like this picture, this image of the prodigal son. 
like almost like a a father sitting on his porch looking into the distance he's like waiting for us to come home he's i'm i want you to come home i want this restoration i want this closeness again you're not too far from god this morning i think that's that is probably the main message from those internal forces that you know make you question that there can also be some external factors also that make us doubt uh, whether god loves us Maybe you lose a family member or you or a family member had a serious accident or health issue. Um, What if you lose your job? What if other serious things happen to you? Why, if God loves me, why are these bad things happening to me? And that's that's a tough question. And it's it's also asked by many. Uh, When I was younger, one of my favorite artists was uh, Switchfoot. And John Foreman, the main singer, songwriter, is a Christian who says in the song Vice Versus, Where is God in the earthquake? Where is God in the genocide? Where are you in my broken heart when everything seems to fall apart? Everything feels rusted over. Tell me that you're there. It's a a common question. God, if you love me, how could you let this happen? These are heart-wrenching questions and it's full of passion and hurt. God, do you care about me? I think in the Bible, the story that probably describes this the best is that I could think of is Job. And, yeah, it's someone who had all external factors, you know, take everything from him. All of his possessions were taken. His children died. He had significant health issues. And his wife and friends turn on him. And literally his wife says to him to curse God and die. Wow. But Job did not curse God. But that doesn't mean he doesn't cry out in hurt. He says to God, have I sinned? What have I done to you, a watcher of men? And he says... My spirit is broken. My days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. In this story, yeah, that's, that's a lot of hurt. That's a lot of pain you can hear out of Job's words. As the story goes on, though, we see that um, God does love Job. And, but that doesn't mean that Job didn't have hurt and suffering and questions. And quite honestly, we might not have the, the answers to these questions when we're here on this earth. God, in a conversation with Job, says, Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is, an important, this is important for us to accept. God is far beyond our minds and our understanding, and we have to trust him. Even though that's like, yeah, amazingly, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but we have to trust God. You know what's best. You have a bigger plan. Yeah, there's so much hurt in the world. There's so much hurt in our lives. Maybe right now, there's hurt in some of you right now that's you know unbearable almost Um, but we have to trust that god loves us and that these events somehow fit into his plan in our culture we we struggle with suffering we want security and uh, safety we want insurance that everything's going to be fine Uh, persecution and hurt are not like welcome things that are in our culture Um, but here it says None of that is going to separate us from God. Not persecution, not famine, not the sword, nothing. John 9 tells of Jesus, he's walking with his disciples, and they pass by a blind man. And uh, one of the disciples asks Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? That's a tough thing. The man had to be was blind his whole life. Jesus answered, it was neither this man's sin or neither that this man sinned nor his parents but it was that the works of God might be displayed in him are we good with that are we willing to trust that even when things hard things happen 
that God has a bigger picture? Are we willing to accept that God loves us no matter what hardships happen? Do we really believe that nothing can separate us from God's love? When Satan lies and try to, tries to say to us that God doesn't love us, do we, do we still trust God? It's so hard to accept uh, this, especially when there's deep hurt and deep um, problems going on in our life, but we have to remind ourselves of this truth. Uh, this summer, I keep going back to uh, Psalm 90. For some reason, yeah, this passage uh, really resonated with me. Uh, it's this incredible psalm. I don't have time to go into it too much, but uh, written in ancient times by Moses. And Moses speaks of the vastness of God in the minuteness of our lives. Verse 10 says, As for the days of our life, life, they contain 70 years, or of due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone, and we fly away. Sorrow and loss are a guaranteed part of life. And some, some of you today have difficult times, I'm sure, right now. Uh, you probably have more questions than I've brought up just now. Uh, many or most of which I do not have the answers to. But what I can say from this passage is that nothing can separate you from God's love. God loves you, no matter how you might feel. Even though it's difficult to understand, please hold to the truth that nothing can separate you from his love. God and God's love are constant. They're unchanging. And nothing can stop his love for you. Personally, uh, I feel like my life has been relatively easy so far. There's not like a lot of maybe hard, th- there's been some hurt and some hard things, but relatively, I feel like it's been pretty sheltered. Maybe it's easier for me to, to accept the fact that nothing can separate me from God's love. But will I accept this when times are tough in my life? And I feel like I need to leave myself like a time capsule being like, Ryan, go check out Restoration Church, September 4th, 2022, and listen to the verses you read. Do you believe that? And do you believe that God loves you no matter what circumstances that you find yourself in? Yeah, if you feel like me today, I think, yeah, it's important to strengthen and to uh, have that relationship built right now with God because those hard times will come. No matter how you feel today, um, whatever state you might be in, uh, we need this truth that nothing can separate us from God's love. We need to push back against all the voices that say otherwise. And we must have faith that God's on our side. This, yeah. um, this passage also should lead us to have a heart of thankfulness. Um, our passage, as we went through in the beginning, says that God sent his son to pay the debt for us. He paid for our sins. God is actively for us. He's translating our prayers. He's, he's actively on our side. And God loves us unconditionally, no matter what, that nothing can separate us. What, what more could we ask for? You know, that we have such a loving God. God, thank you that we can be here. Thank you for these promises that you've given us in your word. Thank you so much for giving your son. Thank you for being on our side. And thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. God, thank you.